Welcome to the Mikvah.org podcast. Since 5735-1975, Mikvah.org has been providing tremendous resources for women across the globe in Taras Mishpacha. Now we present to you a podcast specifically for singles, bringing you all the curated topics as you prepare for your future role as a Kara Sabayas. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another podcast by Mikvah.org. My name is Chasi Rifkeda, and I will be your host today. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing two wonderful women who are the authors of a new book that is soon to be launched, but not quite there yet. So, um, and I'm excited to talk to you about it today and hear all about, you know, what made what makes this book special and all the details. So before we begin, if you could just please introduce yourselves. I know you as Mrs. Samrazov and Mrs. Rifki Slanim, but there's so much more to you and what makes you um, be the authors of this book. And so let's begin. Okay, my name is Sarma Razov. Besides being Baruch Hashem, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, Baruch Hashem. Uh, I've taught Kalis for over two decades. I'm involved in mikvah.org programming, um, training college teachers and doing our classes of education for mothers, for single girls young ladies, for married women in all areas of Taras Meshbach and related. I also teach by Yehudi in seminary in Beis Rifka and in high school for many years. And that is the background that might be helpful to understand why I decided together with Rifki to write this book. Hey, Rifki. Uh, my name is Rifka Slanim, but everybody calls me Rifki. Um, my husband and I, Baruch Hashem, have been privileged to be on Shlichus in Binghamton, New York. I'm trying to remember uh, from 1984. I'm not very good at the Jewish dates. Um, primarily, our focus is the huge Jewish community at Binghamton University. So my official title is Associate Director at the War Chabad Jewish Student Center for Jewish Student Center or Center for Jewish Student Life at Binghamton University. Um, I also do some public speaking and uh, other things. Um, and part of my focus is on Jewish womanhood, on relationships. Um, I've done a book on mikvah. And so this was probably just like the next natural step. Right, you're both you know, known women um, in the field of and I'm sure this this book is going to be amazing. So let's, you know, we're talking about the book. What is the name of the book and what can you briefly describe about it? Uh, the name of the book is Holy Intimacy, the Heart and Soul of Jewish Marriage. And uh, the book, the book is everything we would have wanted, I guess, when we got married, but didn't even know to want. Um, we hope it will be extremely helpful to women of all ages and stages. Um, and it's a candid, deep, and at the same time, practical look um, at intimacy and the many areas in life that interface with intimacy for a Jewish woman, a Jewish married woman. Okay, thank you. Did you want to add anything to the book description? This is uh, a little detail. I don't think it's just about Jewish married woman. It's for the Jewish woman with the focus on marriage and even getting into marriage in a healthier way, understanding uh, sexuality, just how it relates to a healthy marriage and 
coming in with the right mindsets. You briefly mentioned that it's everything you wished when you got married, but on a personal level, what else drove you to publish this book? Or Mrs. Rosevich, you didn't say that yet, uh, but what drove you to write this book? So I just wanna be honest, I'm not a writer. Like Rifki is the writer. She authored actually two books and numerous articles and she speaks all over the world. I'm sorry, Rifki's my cousin. So I'm allowed to kind of be a little bit chutzpidic here. I'm sorry, Rifki. <laughs> She's not being chutzpidic, but sorry, you don't have to massage my ego either. Okay. Okay, now I'm going to have to return the favor. Okay, okay. Please don't, not in public. It's your fault. You started. Okay. But anyways, um, let me just backtrack. I I, I teach Kalas, right? And I was just super frustrated that people are coming to marriage, young women with either a distorted view or such a confused view about intimacy when Torah has so much to offer. And especially within the lens of Chassidus, there's such beauty to the holiness and the, the pleasure and the togetherness of a healthy, intimate life. And I realized that we owe our students, we owe our girls, we owe our women a handbook that will actually talk very openly and very with, um, in, a, in a broad perspective, and Rifki could elaborate on that, on these very important topics. Now, I remember actually what was the kind of the clincher. I know Rifki remember that day, so actually it was before COVID and my students pre-marriage, so many of them were finding out, they were curious, they're finding out information. And once social media became available and Instagram became available, there's so much out there, but there was no Instagram person that was just talking from the Hasidic or Hasidic approach or even a Hasidic approach. And I remember I called Rifki one day at a great frustration. I said, Rifki, do me a favor. I'm not on Instagram. Please, please do me a favor. I just want to close it. Sorry about that. Just please get up there and start talking. Our girls need to hear truth, the beauty, the truth. Because every time I sit and I talk with a girl, either one-on-one or in a group, they're like, wow, Tyra is so beautiful. Hasidus is so beautiful. How come you starved us from this? for so many years and I felt very driven. <clears throat> and Rifki says, let's have a better idea. Let's write a book. And I remember my reaction, Rifki. I said, who reads a book nowadays? This isn't all about Instagram and posts and reels and podcasts. I think even podcasts didn't even exist in those days, but isn't it all about that? And I'm gonna let Rifki continue. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember the exact conversation, but um, I do remember very much the fact that as um, first cousins and friends, you know, we often talk about our work. And over the years, one of the things that became very interesting is just how similar rather than different were our experiences with young women. And here I am on a secular campus and um, speaking publicly mostly to almost exclusively to non-Hasidic communities, let me say, at the very least. And here's Sarah in Beis Rifka and answering questions from women of all ages and stages in Crown Heights. And our experiences uh, converge in, in such an uncanny fashion. And we realized that it was really time to do something. Um, but if I was going to answer your question as to what drove us, um, often when I talk about mikvah, uh, to more secular audiences, I tell them that I will tell them a story from the Talmud that they have likely not heard in Hebrew school. 
And that is about the time that Rav Kahana um, went under the bed of his teacher, Rav, and um, hid under the bed. And at a certain point, hearing Rav and Mrs. Rav, I don't know her first name. Um, <laughs> oh, Sarah's saying her first name was Rebetzin. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Rabbanit Rav. Uh, he heard them engage in intimacy and uh, was kind of surprised by the level of enthusiasm and ardor, especially because his teacher was not a young man. And he, so he forgot himself in his place and he exclaimed rather loudly. And that caused Rav to get out of bed and look under the bed to see what's going on. And he said to his student, uh, what might you be doing in this particular geographic location at this junction in human history? Not exactly those words. And, um, and Rav Kahana said to him, you are my teacher and I am here to study Torah. And it's instructive that there's no rebuttal on the part of Rav, which means that this is part of Torah. I would go as far as saying that this is the deepest, the sweetest, the most important, the most axiomatic, the most poignant, the most beautiful part of Torah. And it must be studied. And, you know, when you go under a bed, I mean, if the, if the house is not terribly clean, for sure, you're going to meet a lot of dust bunnies, maybe a whole colony, and who knows what else. And it's dark, and it's uncomfortable, and it could be claustrophobic. That's the worst that could happen to you under a bit. But when you have to go in dark places today, it's a lot darker. It's a lot more uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, the old expression that, you know, fungus can only grow in the dark. So what do we really want from women who are curious, young and older, looking, do we really want them to kick under the proverbial bed? Do we, do we want them online where there's a lot more um, lurking than just dust bunnies? And we decided that we didn't. Uh, like as Sarah just said, that uh, our sisters, our nieces, our daughters, our friends, our great aunts, our grandmothers deserve better. And it was time to do away with the false dichotomy between intimacy and terror, between sexual intimacy and terror, that, that this was not going to be something that people will only whisper about or eavesdrop on or have to go to sources that are unsavory very, very often, but that um, it needs to be presented with dignity, clearly, candidly. I just want to add, I want to interject. So the Rebbe is my inspiration and will always be. And when we, I did the research, what would the Rebbe say about it? I was astonished to find so many pieces. And this is from the 1970s and 1980s, where the Rebbe was very adamant that because of the exposure of nowadays, which was a couple decades ago, girls, young ladies should be taught before marriage about the beauty and the holiness of Tara. And they know more than their teachers. You know, the Rebbe expressed what you're afraid you're going to teach them something new. The opposite, they know they're exposed. And our job and our holy duty and role is to provide all of our daughters and sisters, like Riffy said, and all of our students with the beauty of Tyrell.
So you both I love the way Sarala just very subtly threw me under the bus and said the Rebbe is her inspiration. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose for me. Okay, then I'll forgive you. Okay, you can still get back at me. There's still one. There's still one. You know, yes. you both mentioned how you're coming from very different um, backgrounds in your day-to-day -day work. I mean, you're from the same background. Like you said, the Rebbe is inspiration for all of us. Um, but Mrs. Morozov, Sarah Morozov is working in Beisrifka um, with girls that are from from birth. And, and that- Can and I that just interject? It's not just Beisrifka. Beisrifka probably is like an all-encompassing name, but it's kind of the generic of the Chabad student worldwide. You know, Chabad student and young newlyweds in the right. world. Because I'm she's on campus in this more secular environment Correct. and both coming with like this commonality in this book. So that, I guess, brings me to the next question. You will talk about what the book's about. Who is the book geared towards? Well, you know, years ago, um, people were already talking about the world being a global village. And with the advent of the internet and then the various iterations of social media, the world is, is, is just one room and maybe they're just different cubicles. And um, it's startling just how much our work converged. We're dealing where we're answering the same questions. Uh, we're dealing with the same frustrations very, very often uh, with the same anxieties. Um, it's a human need. Uh, you know, human sexuality is, is primary in every person. It doesn't matter what your background is. And um, I'm dealing with Jewish women and Sarah's dealing with Jewish women. They all have neshamas and they're all hungry, we think, um, to address this most important aspect of life through a lens, through a prism that is I'll say our book is down to earth, but rooted in heaven. That's what we tried to do. So, so, so I, who's the book for? Yeah, Sarah, I want to say that. I just want to say that I was actually surprised myself how so that every time we were answering the questions or deciding what, what should be written, it was the same. The answers were the same. Not only were the questions the same, but the same answer resonated for all demographics. And that to me was startling. That it's the same answer, the Taurus MS through the lens of Chassidus resonated with so many different demographics, you know, so it's not just one room, but it's it's something that really resonates. So would you say it's for every Jewish woman? Is there an age bracket in this every Jewish woman? Look, um, I don't know about you guys, but I know I read stuff when I was 12 or 13. I wasn't supposed to, most likely. Um, so for precocious teenagers out there, yeah, I'd much rather they read this than other stuff. Um, but it's probably geared for maybe the senior in high school, maybe even the junior and senior in high school, all the way through to 120. You know, it's a book to grow with. There are things that people will read when they're young and will understand much differently when they're 20 or 30 or 40. It's a book that has to be read more than once. It will speak to you at different stages in a different way. Um, it's a book that can be perused. So people who are interested in one uh, part of the book at certain point in life, can read that part and read others later. Um, so it's really for, certainly for every observant Jewish woman, um, but for women who are not yet observant, but are curious, 
Uh, we provide a glossary at the end of the book, and we also define all the Hebrew terms uh, in the first instance of their usage within the book. So for shluchais who want to give something to somebody who's really coming closer and wants more of an understanding, this could be, you know, a good choice. Okay, so can you describe, I know you mentioned briefly that there are some different chapters, and I haven't seen the book yet, I can't wait to see it, but so can you describe the, the content of the book? Like, is this a book you read from beginning to end? Is it like... What's the style of it? Um, well, first the style. Um, I think we use the term zigzag. So we zigzag between very deep ideas. I mean, there's there have to be tens and tens of sikhas and maimorim that are interwoven in this book. Um, so we, of course, root everything we're saying very deeply and everything is footnoted and annotated. So anybody who wants to learn more or who comes across something and they're very surprised or they don't believe it or that it really has a source um, because of the sensitivity of the subject matter, uh, this was a, a priority to footnote and annotate properly. Um, so you have the deep concepts and then you have frequently asked questions and the answers about very, very practical, pragmatic aspects of intimate life. Um, even in the, in the portions that deal with the deep ideas, we try to tether them to very, very um, quotidian, everyday, practical scenarios. Uh, we also sprinkle personal vignettes throughout the book so people can hear our voices and that we can be engaged in a dialogue with our readers, which is really what we want to do. Um, so that's about two thirds of the book is our work. Um, and that also includes treatment of Kisui Roish and also about Pur Vu. And um, as Sarah mentioned earlier, there are aspects of the book that approach life before marriage and how one can prepare properly for marriage by uh, comporting oneself in a certain way. And then we reached out to practitioners um, in various fields that would interface with intimacy, uh, things like fertility and infertility, childbirth, um, there's, an, there's a chapter by a bodeket, and so on and so forth. So we have these professional voices uh, writing essays to deal with aspects of life that people might encounter so that if there should be an issue or a problem, this could serve as a good first um, segue and, and help them figure out if they need more professional help and so on and so forth. I see. Did you want to add anything about the content or style of the book? No, I think if you said it all. Said it all. Okay, so you mentioned... I do want to say that um, I actually... It's, it is really astounding how the zigzag, it's, I, I just want to reiterate that, that it has such deep consciousness that we worked hard to make them very understandable and user-friendly. And at the same time, it has answers to the most practical questions that people ask and how everything is really connected. Every answer has a Torah source. There's a hashkafa. We also dealt a lot with emo the emotional aspect of it. If, if it was about people's challenges, various challenges that come across and now they inter interface with the intimate life. Uh, we didn't just paint the picture that it's all like rosy schmozy. 
but it was very real. Uh, it was very real, and I think it was very well addressed to the realities of life that we are like on a pendulum. Life isn't static; it goes back and forth and up and down. And wherever whatever's our starting point and whatever we're in the middle of, there's something there for everyone to relate to. Um, how to how to address and be okay and understand what's going on, both on the on the um, hashkafic level and on the emotional level. And what Torah says about it. I also want to mention that this is not a halacha safer. It's not, there are no halachas. We address the hashkafa and the emotions behind the halacha, but it's not a how-to book. You can't, you know, what are the halachas of intimacy? No, it's not a list at all. Definitely we address, you know, in the book, they're interwoven with questions that are asked, but it, it, it's not a halacha book. We also um, come back again and again to the idea that this book is not meant to take the place of a mashpia, not only not of a rough, certainly not of a rough, but also not of a mashpia. No two people are alike, no two relationships are alike, no two marriages are alike, no two times in life are alike. And therefore we um, over and over uh, really suggest that people speak this over and not be shy to speak about this, that it's important to find the right a person with whom to seek counsel uh, if one has questions and that, uh, you know, people shouldn't be comparing. They should be thinking about their life, their bedroom and what they need. And even when we mention Hanhagos, we, we also mention that this may or may not be right for every individual couple. So tell me a little bit more. I know this book has been, you know, in the process for a while. So tell me a little bit about, you know, why it took such a long time, so to speak, to get off the ground, why there's, you know, how it went through the different versions, what was it like to collaborate coming from such different, you know, um, working points to, to come together to write this book? Well, first, I don't think it's been that long. Uh, it's so long, if, but if my, if my memory serves me, sorry, is it three years that we're working on this? Yeah, it was a lot of it, breaks. It's COVID about breaks. three years, um, but we're both you know, Baruch Hashem, very busy with a lot of other things. Um, and we were, we did not have the luxury of many writers of going up to the attic and having our wives bring us three meals as we sequester ourselves in the attic and write this book day and night. Um, it wasn't anything like that. And um, I must say that I am actually grateful for that um, because it was a book that grew it was a metamorphosis. We grew with it. It grew with us. Um, I found, and I think several would say the same, that every conversation I had from when I started working on this, every public speaking engagement, every class, every exchange, everything I heard about, I started relating to this project. And so we started saying, well, we should include this. We have to include this. We're going to include this. We're going to include this. So um, it was very much a growing process for us as individuals, if I might say so, uh, for us as a collaborating unit and, um, and, and for the subject matter itself. Um, it's also sensitive subject matter. We did a lot, a lot of consulting. We went back and forth with many Rabbanim and Mashpiim and experts and therapists in the field. And there was nothing simple about this. Uh, we, we feel, we felt every moment and we feel an enormous uh, responsibility and the gravitas of having undertaken this project that many, many people said, 
could not be done. They really, really tried to dissuade us, people very near and dear to us, um, tried to dissuade us to protect us um, from undertaking this. But we just felt overwhelmingly that this had to be done. And um, sometimes it just happens in life. You know, that's what's inside just has to be released. It's like a volcano. It's like an explosion. You just can't keep it anymore. And um, that's very much what happened with this. What was the process like? It was fascinating. Oh, Sarah wants to say something. I, I, I'm plotting. <laughs> She's the volcano exploding right here, right now. I'm so glad the volcano exploded. Something just clicked in my head, you know? Because what I, I'll be very honest, uh, Rifki here, I'm a very strong-minded person. And Rifki, my cousin, what? we come from the same- I never gym. knew that. Never knew that. And, and I was just hoping and praying that Rifki and I will be best friends forever. And our, we won't clash. And the biggest gift that I could say is this idea that when you're working for MS, um, it's amazing how we came together so many times over and over again that even when we had different perspectives, uh, we consulted whatever the role of the mashpia, whoever we had uh, to consult with. But I was, Baruch Hashem, one of the biggest gifts is that I saw over and over again how when we collaborate for MS, and it's not about ourselves, it's for the purpose and the goal. Um, and the same thing is true about intimacy. Like this is one of our, it's one, it's, it's really the theme of intimacy. It's not about I, you know, that yes, each of us, each, just the husband and the wife, each one in the relationship brings their own selves into it. We don't leave it behind. But then we reach that higher place that both of ourselves can merge like heart and soul and body too, to like that higher reality of oneness. And I just thought this, our relationship over the last three years showed it over and over again. So I guess it was healthy intimacy, if I may say so. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Sarah would say this, if she would want to say this in full-throated manner, but I suspect um, that she was also very nervous about doing this project with me because I don't know if she thought I was from enough or Hasidish enough for her. Um, so we are first cousins. And I think that what that really um, the grandparents that we share are really the reason we're sitting together on this podcast today. I, I think the determination and the, the energy really comes from, from those grandparents. Um, but that strength was also the, what could have torn us apart because as she mentioned, I facetiously said, I never knew. Uh, she is very strong-minded. I am very strong-minded and we do have different styles, let's face it. And I have spent the last few decades immersed in a much more secular environment than she is. Um, so I, I think, even though, I, like I said, she never said that to me, but I, I have a sneaking feeling that she might have been very worried about um, my from Kaida, my Hasidish Kite level. So I am very, very moved that she trusted me. Um, I hope that I have vindicated myself. Um, Rifki, and, that uh, lasted for three weeks. After our for after we make the introduction, now what terminology are gonna we are we gonna use the word sex? Are we gonna use intimacy? Are we oh yeah sexual intimacy? So so yeah. after that we realized the Baruch Hashem like it's 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 it, again towards the same goal and that really didn't last very much longer, and and like Rifki said ages ago, you know a secular campus full of Jewish people are children in the again the generic let's say crown heights community and abroad um are faced with the same exposure and the same 
confusion. And we owe everybody Tyrus Emes with chassidus, especially with that chassidish flavor. It, everything ra- raises, rises to a whole new level. We gave, you know, we gave parts of the book for different people to look and give feedback so you could tweak and upgrade. And I was so fascinated that even people that are so, like have nothing to do with Chabad or never even heard of Hasidus before, you know, and all the way to the most Hasidish and everyone in between, it really resonated with everyone. Like I, we didn't have any, any nobody gave any feedback from any, about um, problems with the language or the style. So maybe certain words we have to change or explain a little bit more or certain concepts. But again, the same thing over and over again, you know, it's, it's, it's the same. You know, for me, I'm listening, you know, I think I first said, wow, it's, I know I know this has been for a while and Rifki piped up with, it hasn't been so long, it's only three years, which is true that that's not very long in the book publishing world. But at the no, same not time, at all. Not at all. But as you described the process back and forth, it's not a long time, but it's almost like you need that time. It's almost like a disservice if you would have done this book in a three month period. Well, Chasi, I have yeah. to tell you, yeah, Chasi, a few times it happened that we didn't look at certain pieces for like three months or six months and we have to go back to it and i'm like oh now we see differently we have to change this this wording we have to change it we have to give a better example we have to add something in so it actually the pauses in between covid and other stuff happening in between or we had different schedules when our you know when she was off from campus i had my own things to deal with so we weren't so always so synchronized but the pauses were also a very gi- big gift in the process because we could go back and, and see it, you know. Almost with a fresh lens without having a fresh lens. Yeah, it was a very interesting process. Uh, it, in, in some ways it was very, very organic and in some ways it was disjointed. Um, and it's also interesting and it is a form of intimacy to to merge your minds and your hearts, you know, like I would have an idea and I would like burst out with that, or she would have an idea. And we each had to kind of take in that idea and funnel it through our own minds before we can make peace with it and then put it on paper together. You know, Um, there would be times where I just couldn't sleep at night at all. Like things were racing through my head and she had the same experience. And then like, we would be, we would not, if, if we were to, transcribe our WhatsApp thread over the last three years and even look at the times in the day and night we spoke to each other, some days 50 times a day. Guzma, not exaggerating, um, because it, it, it really, it does overtake you. The process does overtake you. I, there were nights where I could not shut my mind off at all. Um, Risky, and, some of and, your best pieces were middle of the night. And Baruch Hashem, that we we have many, many, many other aspects in our in going on at the same time. It wasn't like we could shut anything down. So it was interesting in that respect. And my husband learned to read it. He would hear Sarah's voice and he would, on my WhatsApp, and he would just you know retreat and wait. <laughs> and then he would ask me if I could come back into this island so he could discuss something else with me. You know, so. Uh, it was an interesting process. There's no question about it. So we have the main body of the manuscript, which is the work that you've been doing over the past three years. And you mentioned that at the end, there are these supplemental essays. So how did you find which contributors you wanted for the essays? And why do you think it was an important part of this book? So Rifki and myself are both in the field of Tarsim for many years. And that comes along with contacts that we need for health that's so related to Tarsim Shpacha. Like we said, if it's pregnancy loss or sexual dysfunction or domestic abuse or even how to take care of my shaitl or just 
a human, uh, just taking care of your body in a healthy way. So Baruch Hashem, we had, we were able to recruit um, very, very professional and women who were so happy and thrilled and honored to be part of this project because they believed in it so much. I think, and, and the busiest people, you had Dr. You know, Batsheva, what's her name? Some real, like people who were so busy and so like well-known, but I was actually so pleasantly surprised how every single person I asked was like, wow, this is such an amazing project. Like I want to be part of it. It's my honor. This is so important. It's going to benefit so many women. And they worked hard. They worked hard on writing the essays and redoing it and tweaking it. And, you know. We looked for people who we could trust. Uh, because if we're going to put this in the hands of other women, the last thing we want to do is, God forbid, mislead them or create a stumbling block, you know. Um, so we looked for authoritative voices, experienced voices that we could trust. And why do you feel it's an important aspect of the book? Like, what, why would you not, you know, bring in those voices yourself? Like you said, you've worked with many of these women for many years. You have a lot of those ideas. Why yeah, but we're, we're not physicians. We're not clinicians. We don't have the training. And it shouldn't be funneled through the voice of a lay person as experienced as we might be. It should be done through the voice of a professional who's up on the latest research and so on and so forth. Um, the importance of these essays is because um, we all, Baruch Hashem, I think, uh, get married with a default uh, happiness and excitement. And even if we're very practical, kind of have this idea, this fairy tale idea of happily ever after. And then when there's a hiccup, a lot of times it's very jarring and, and you don't know where to turn or you're young and you're embarrassed or you feel you're a failure or you feel like you're being punished in some way or what have you. And so these essays are not meant to be comprehensive as much as they're meant to create a peephole into particular subjects so people can understand maybe what, what they are experiencing and they're, they're not the only ones and not feel that overwhelming loneliness or helplessness uh, in all of these essays, it's underscored that these things can be remedied. Many things can be remedied. Many things can be managed. Um, it's to give people language for what they're feeling, is to give them context for the experience and to give them hope. I wanna add that most of the essays are like humanity. It's, it's not uh, specific to the religious population, it's just, the human condition, if it's pregnancy loss or fertility or uh, abuse or sexual dysfunction, it's not, or, or being healthy, uh, a healthy body or birthing or whatever else it is, it's it, it's for everybody. And I think that's also a beautiful section of the book for just about anybody that's just not just basic education and a married woman's life. Okay, okay so what do you think the readers will find um, surprising or most interesting or most practical when, when coming across your book? Um, I think I think people enjoy, it's not necessarily voyeuristic. I think we all enjoy hearing or seeing what's going on in other people's lives. So I would like to believe that the ways in which we were honest, Sarah and I, about our own experiences, um, might be a little surprising or interesting to people. Um, I, I'm hoping that some of the sikhs and my marim are not things people have seen before, will be edifying and that certain 
teachings will be surprising. Um, I think. Can I add something? People, I, think? I think what's really surprising for many people and novel is the down to earth questions and the real stuff. Like we don't whisper, we don't beat around the bush. If it's the word masturbation, if it's the word, whatever it is, like it's entire it's a terror concept. It's not something that we shove under the bed or under the rug or under the dust or wherever else. I think also, I think it's a be, it's just amazing um, that the time has come when we see the beauty in every one of these everyday questions that people have. So I think that'll be surprising because I don't think it happened yet in history that this is book was created that's so straightforward for the observant Jewish woman. I'm hearing you say that one of the most surprising things will be how practical it is. That, that I don't know if it's practical, but we discuss very practical topics. It's not just philosophy, it's not just emotions, but practical practical questions that come up all the time. Okay. So sounds like it's amazing and I can't wait to read it. So tell us when is this book launching and how do we access it when it does? Um, the book is being published by Shaiki Press, uh, which is a small interrupter Jewish press. Um, very, very cutting edge. We're very excited about having that home for our book. Uh, we see this being sold mostly uh, via the worldwide net uh, online. It, we hope that it will, it's, it's in production already. Uh, so we hope that it will be actually available um, in the next few weeks. Uh, but as far as when we're going to launch it, that's a different question, which we haven't decided yet because we will probably most likely wait until after Yom Tif to launch it. Um, but it's in production. It's by Shaiki Press. It's called Holy Intimacy, The Heart and Soul of Jewish Marriage. And it will be available online and people will be able to order it with a click of a button and it'll be real easy it'll be in your house the next day or two or three on amazon okay what yeah. is interrupter for the curious Explain. um so in the same way that uber is an interruptive uh force to the taxi industry and airbnb is an interrupter force to the hotel industry to the hospitality industry uh so shaky aims to interrupt the paradigm of jewish publishing making it less expensive so that the reader can get quality books at a lower price, uh, doing it in such a way that it can be published more quickly and that it can be disseminated far and wide with less obstructions. Oh, amazing. Okay, thank you. I'm glad we always uh, learn something new. Um, I just wanted to mention, you know, it's, everything's about Shkach and today is Chai Elul, it's 18th day of Elul, and I just feel like we can't, you know, we, I wouldn't want to gloss over that. I think, you know, it's amazing that this conversation is happening today. So how would you feel that that ties into the book? You know, it's right there in our introduction. Uh, we talk, in fact, about how um, people felt that the Hasidic teachings should be sequestered, they should be hidden away. And the Alter Rebbe felt that, no, that, that the diamond of the king's uh, crown of the tiara had to be ground up and had to be um, mixed with water and had to be fed to every, to every Jew, to the, to the Jewish people, um, that this was the elixir that, that could heal. And even if it meant that some of this potent 
and very expensive and most treasured uh, stone in its ground form would end up dribbling down somebody's cheek and it seems to be wasted, the Altarebbe felt that no, these were ideas that everybody needed. And then in fact, this was the only way to go forward. And we reference this because we feel very much that um, this is the Indian of this is the Indian of Chayis. And there is nothing more central to Tayr, there's nothing more central to the Indian of than, than marriage. Uh, than our relationships, than our intimate relationships. And yeah, like I said, just like, you know, the Baal Shem Tov was the founder of the Hasidic movement on the Alter Rebbe Chabad Hasidus, it's called Panimius Atayra, right? It's about the inner light. Uh, this, this like, like the name of the book, Holy Intimacy, the heart and the soul. We go into that inner layer, that inner dimension, like inside out and then outside and back in. But we have, we, we kind of, we go back and forth with the that innermost aspect on every layer, and I think that's what makes it so so Hasidish, if I may say so, Rifki. It's a Hasidish book, but it's for everyone. It sounds like it's a groundbreaking book. Can I ask you a question? And you know, um, what makes it different than you know there are other books on Jewish intimacy? What makes this a completely different book? You're just gonna have to read a Hasid. I know, <laughs> but I will tell you. Can't wait, but it's 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 different in 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 every single way. Okay, Chassi. and it's the first time that um, questions that people have are being answered. In I just want to form in straightforward form, uh, without apologetics, without obfuscation. Um, we're also using language that is clear and direct. Again, without euphemism and without obfuscation. Um, because we feel the time has come. There is too much to lose. There's just too much to lose to leave this most important foundational aspect of life. Um, to what? To chance? Uh, to, to what people might get a glimmer of? Or go on, you know, on, on social media in, in unsavory places. So it's a, it has a very different tone. I, I just want to add another little aspect of it, which is, Hasi, you had, uh, I read, I and there's always new books. I read so many books on intimacy in English and in Russian Kurdish, um, those two languages, nothing else. And some of them are purely halachic and intimacy is so far from a halachic how-to black and white list of do's and don'ts. And actually, they can actually be very, to some degree, almost, and pardon me for saying this publicly, but if they are taking the wrong way, they could even be disruptive. Okay, you have to. The context is so much what matters, and the other books are kind of very like general, and they talk about concepts and about themes, and or we have books that are more scientific. I'm talking about from the Jewish companies. I'm not talking about the non-Jewish companies. And I think there is, this is the most down-to-earth user-friendly combination, and it's the third time we're going to use this word, that zigzag. It's like it, it, it encompasses the human experience, which is, yes, the action is very important, but the, there's the heart and there's the soul. And when we, when we have a, a good understanding of the heart and the soul, then our behaviors follow in a very holy, wholesome, and balanced way. And I haven't found another book like that yet. Sarah already said this, um, but I'll just underscore 
it's it's very rare to find a book, certainly in the Jewish world, certainly that deals with a Jewish topic, unless it's specifically about a type of dysfunction that deals honestly with the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, life can get very messy and we don't make pretenses about that. And we do our best to uh, address things like trauma and dysfunction and, um, and, and loss of desire and, you know, lack of synchrony and, and all kinds of things because that's life. And we're kind of done, 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 done with like making everything look like it's uh, gorgeous, you know, wrapping up with the bows and the uh, done. Not all pretty. It's very pretty. Not always. The unprettiness is part of the pretty. We have to enjoy the whole flower garden, weeds included. But um, Hasi, I want to say again, it's not a scary book. It's a fun book. But it's, I mean, I think it's very candid. But I want to mention again something that Rifki mentioned, which is so important. The book is so full. It's like you turn the page and you turn, it's like full. And you can't, you, you can all, I can imagine people reading it like in one sitting. I don't know how long it takes to read a, hundred, a couple hundred pages. But it doesn't really do good service to the book. You'll have to go back. And different women during different stages of their life will have a different understanding of the chapters as they go along. Because... It's like multifaceted and multi-layers. And when you read it at 14, it's very different than when you read it at 24 or 34 or 44 or 144. And I, I strongly believe, like even when I went back to that book after not re reading certain chapters over months, like, it, like wow. Like, so I said, hey, I, I remember, I don't know how many times I haven't said Rifki, I just read it. It's amazing. Like, I have this whole new excitement about it because I left it alone. I said, wow, I didn't realize how fantastic it was. Or sometimes we say, hey, this doesn't really resonate. Like we've got to change something there. So you also have to grow with it. It's not like you read it, you read the novel, you have the plot, you have, you know, you have experience and now it's over and you pass it on to someone else. I really believe this is a book that you hold on to and go back to. So this sounds so amazing. And I want to just thank you both for taking the time today to speak with me so that our, you know, our audience can, can know about this book that's upcoming and look out for it. Um, is there any closing comments before, as we wrap up that you'd like our audience out there, not just me as the individual in this conversation, um, to know about the book? And you had mentioned where you can get it, but is there anything else that we should know going forward as we're you know, going entering into Tishrei and looking forward to the launch? I think you said it'll be after Yom Tif. Um, any closing comments here? So I want to say something and then I'll, I'll, I'll let Rifki take the final touch. So as I'm now putting on, we are Rifki, you and me, we are Chabad Hasidim. And if we find something's a treasure, obviously we want to share it with others. I think it's time that we take a bit more responsibility of sharing the beauty with people who need to hear and need to know what the right resources are because we are, people are curious and we live in a world that's so flooded with openness and sexuality and all the different, um, different topics that surround it. And we owe, like the Rebbe says, we owe our daughters, we owe every Jewish daughter the truth, the MS of the beauty of Kiddush Antares. I hope like as you read the book and it resonates with you, I'm sure you'll find somebody else that you could share it with as well. So you could pass it on. Say, so don't keep it as best kept secret. Read Correct. it, enjoy it, and let your friend know about it too. Correct. Okay, Rifki? I would just say that I would hope that um, 
that this would be a step forward in chiseling away at the artificial dam wall between Tara and sexuality. It, you know, one of the things we try to do is, is, is break down that dichotomy, you know, because people often approach it as dichotomous aspects. So yeah, they'll talk about Taras HaMishpacha. This book is not about Taras HaMishpacha. Of course, it interfaces with Taras HaMishpacha because we're from women, because we're Hasidish women. Uh, but this is not a book about Taras HaMishpacha. This is a book about our intimate lives. And as, as Jewish women, as Hasidish women, as women whose, hopefully whose minds and hearts are filled with Hasidic ideals. And um, so again, I go back to the idea that the book is firmly rooted uh, in heaven, um, but very much on the ground. And, and in the final analysis, I mean, this, this was the heart and soul of the Rebbe's teachings. Dear lo yizbarach b'tachtainim. Dear lo yizbarach b'tachtainim over and over and over. And it all really begins. It all really begins in our homes and more specifically in our bedrooms. Okay, this, it just, I you know, as I keep on hearing you, you said, Chas, you have to just read it. I just can't wait till this comes out. Thank you for taking the time today to, to speak to, with me about it. And- um, Thank you for speaking that, with us. And I hope that everyone out there, um, you know, keeps their eye out for when this book launches and uh, we will link and post in the show notes. Um, how to order this book. So thank you. Okay, and since we're talking today, even I don't know when this will air, but to you.